0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with Misha and the Spanks. that's coming up on Endeavors. Tuesday, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. It's uh, been a while since I've had a show up, and it's been a while where I've been able to do a feature interview, uh, just one guest. But today is that day with Misha and the Spanx. They have a new album out called Unconditional Love in Hi-Fi. And Misha and and the Spanx consists of Misha, Louie, and drummer Sean Hamilton. Misha is a mixed Swampneck artist currently living on Treaty 7 territory. And this album was sort of inspired by both love and loss. She recently became uh The mother of twins and she also wrote a song about her uh, late father who was killed in an accident a number of years ago then of course there's uh, the single dig me out uh, which is about the discovery of numerous unmarked graves in residential schools both in canada and in the northern U.S. in places like Minnesota. With so much variety in and on the album, Misha and Sean were able to record in a number of different places, uh, including at Brighton Electric Studios in the UK, uh, as well as the National Music Center and OCL Studios back home in Alberta. From the inception, Misha and the Spanks has chronicled their ascent through a post-punk modernist lens that speaks of a love affair with early 90s underground and grunge bands. Uh, in 2021, they were nominees for... Rock Artist of the Year at the, Can- at the Western Canadian Music Awards and with their raw, uncompromising and anarchic sounds, unconditional love in hi-fi uh, raises the bar that they set with their 2021 singles EP. This is my conversation with Misha and the Spanks. I am Got here it. with Misha and Sean, Misha and the Spanx. Hello, how are we?
1: Hi, good. We're uh we're in London, Ontario.
0: London, Ontario. This is our
1: one hotel night. So we've just enjoyed a gym and a swim. Nice,
0: nice. How how's it feel to get <laughs> like one sort of just one day of being able to just like sit and, and breathe on tour?
1: <laughs> really nice it's pretty early in the tour so it's not like we've been i mean i go, i guess two weeks ago we were doing western canada but uh london was the second show of tour so it's kind of a refreshing start and then we don't have any days off until uh after puza fest so for the rest of the tour and then you aren't you you uh you go to the uk this summer right for yes yeah we've got kind of a two weeks away two weeks home touring schedule now because i've got the twins so just trying to not be away for like Two months or something. So uh two weeks out here in Eastern Canada and then we'll be home for two weeks before we go out to the UK and Germany.
0: Touring Europe is can be quite a quite a different experience than than touring Canada or or your home country. Um what are you looking f- what are you looking forward to the most about that?
1: Well it's our first tour over there we've been trying for years. We've put done a lot of conference festivals out there and trying to book is always so crazy because they book like 6 to 8 months in advance where in Canada you're like 4 to 3 months or something so we've never been able to quite nail it down so actually doing it is super exciting um i know it's going to be kind of a headache figuring out all the backline and the vehicles and stuff but there like is a ton of backline there's a lot of accommodation like people kind of treat artists a little bit different over there and i'm looking forward to that
2: yeah i think it's just food i just want to eat all <laughs> things the- to look forward to is the food I, i'm not looking forward to logistics so <laughs> <laughs> all the all the, all the fish and chips over there yeah fish and chips and then all the pickled Ooh, we weird have, pickled things in germany
1: we have a sunday off so we'll get a sunday roast in the uk oh, okay.
2: yes
0: well oh, yeah. full, fully en- do a full english breakfast too while you're there maybe
1: oh yeah those
0: Definitely. are
2: those are, i i've spent some time over there so those, those are really good hey. We uh, the first time we went over there. Like first three days in a row, we had like full English, and then 30, <laughs> they were like, "Okay, well, maybe, maybe it's just a bagel this morning because it's quite an endeavor."
1: Yeah, a yeah. heavy English breakfast every single morning. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, but anyway, you're you're
0: touring in in support of the new album, um, "Unconditional Love," in Hi Fi. Yes, and there's there's a lot of powerful songs in this. There's there's a lot of. Um, sort of different different things you 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 touch on. Um but but for you was was there one or two specific things that
1: kickstarted this album for you? Um you know the album is kind of a weird combo of like pretty serious songs and pretty fun songs and the very first two songs we recorded uh, we weren't really sure if they were going to be part of an album or not. We had some time between festivals to go to the UK and work with our producers. And that was Dig Me Out, which is very heavy. It's about residential schools and my grandmother's time there. And then hearing about the 215 and the world's reaction and all of that. And then I Can't Wait, which is like a super fun summer jam. So I feel like when we went into it and did those two songs first, it kind of created a vibe of like, we're going to do some heavy stuff and we're going to do some fun stuff and I think it all, I think those two songs are like a good example of what the whole album kind of encompasses.
0: You know, you, you mentioned Dig Me Out, which, which actually was the, the track I had a chance to listen to. And, you know, that's a conversation that everyone is having, whether you're, you're Indigenous or not. But I, I know that, I know that um, the, the, your Indigenous identity was something that you've recently started in exploring more Um, in in the last little while how how has that um affected you as
1: as a songwriter you know i've i've just started sharing more i would say versus exploring um and it's this it kind of this whole part of me that i haven't been sharing so it's been very influential what i've been writing because there's so many things to dig into that i just haven't put into my songwriting before and so um it's been kind of inspiring, I guess, in that way, like there's, there's things to write about, they're heavier, so I take more time to write them, I think, to make sure that I'm conveying things the the right way. And um, yeah, I think it's gonna have a bigger influence on what we write in the future, because there's, it's kind of opened this, this can of, of stuff I've just been not really sharing. So it's, um, it's kind of, it's kind of exciting, um, if not a little therapeutic.
0: Sean, how, how, how do you feel about, about, um, that
2: aspect of it all? I think it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's great for content because, you know, there's a lot of stories I've heard a hundred times and I'm a songwriter and I've written the same story a lot. And the perspective of like, cis white man is like, there's, you know, there's only so many stories to be told. They're out there. (laughs) Yeah, they're out there. Hard to reinvent that wheel um and so i think like it's it's really nice to sort of see the fruition of um what i would say like punk rock is because that's what i grew up listening to and playing and so i think it's like i've always been looking for the other stories that haven't been told and i think it's like a very rock and roll thing now to like bring these to the forefront and then also in the way that we present them as a as a duo is like it's very like hard hitting it's like not um you know, it's not a folk song that's easy to hear all the lyrics. It's really like powerful words, powerful music. So uh, I'm just happy to be part of it.
0: Um, and I know, Misha, for you, uh, I, I, know, I think another thing that that I read about this album was that there uh, something about about your dad passing away after he uh, was was killed by by a by a grizzly. Um, yeah. And but but you you talk about that, and you also talk about. Um, the 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 birth of your twins um writing about one's personal life is is always um you know in in your art is always an interesting decision what what made you want to tell those stories
1: um I think I'd been I mean my dad passed when I was like 21 so that was I don't do any math here but it was a long time ago and um I never really dealt with it to be honest um I just kind of powered through maybe partied through maybe toured through just kind of like took my work and just went with it and just didn't really process and deal with it and I think um it was really the birth of my twins that made me revisit it and think about what it all meant and I mean they're three and a half now so I've been thinking about this song for a while since I made the connection that it is an old Shushwap belief that twins were a gift from the grizzly spirit and so um, that was just so like that was such a weird connection for me and it like kind of helped me reconcile some of those feelings and um, I knew there was a story and a song there and it just took me a long time to figure out how I wanted to share it to learn some of my language like there was a lot of pieces that I wanted to have in play there before I put anything out there and so um, I mean, I wanted to write it and share it to kind of to help process and deal with that grief that I've just been carrying around for so long. Is, is that
0: why you think we hear a lot of songs about heartache and and grief? Because not only is it something that everyone can relate to or will go through, but it's also the artist's way of trying to, I guess, maybe process it all.
1: Oh yeah. Like anytime I write anything like that, like that's, that's me going through it, <laughs> you know, for sure. I've most of, I mean, everything I've written has been really personal and a lot of the old early albums of songs we don't play anymore because they're not that great are <laughs> me, me processing like bad breakups, bad toxic relationships and stuff like that. And um, I think if you're an artist, I mean, you put so much of yourself into your work, like, of course, those experiences are going to be how you cope.
0: Um Another couple songs that that are that are mentioned um, here in the press release are are so mad, uh, and and bully, which which they say epitomize the true like DIY uh, punk ethos. Um, what can you tell us about those couple of tracks?
1: Well, so mad. I mean, I I wrote it in a punchy, fun kind of way because it. I don't, and I guess I kind of did something similar with Dig Me Out" as well, but I wanted. To write something catchy and fun about something that's kind of serious and like the day-to-day of what women have to deal with and um, just like our everything happening in the US with like women's bodies and body autonomy and abortion rights and everything like things are getting crazy they're getting kind of scary and I don't know any woman who's ever walked ho- or girl who's like walked home at night without her like keys in her fingers like there's, these are just scary realities that we deal with on a really regular basis. and. Yeah, I guess I was just thinking about that when I wrote that song, and just wanted to put that in a in a in a fun <laughs> in a fun kind of way about just the things that we get so mad about, and um, and I guess yeah, I mean that's kind of punk rock because that's those are you know regular punk rock topics of just like women's like feminist rights and stuff, and um, and then bully. Uh, I mean we wrote that in a really kind of mm-hmm. grungy way. Sorry, what was this? Sorry, that is my my husband calling me. Oh, are we gone? Where did we go? Oh, there we go. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Um, so, and then for Bully, you know, uh, after I released Mixed Blood Girls, uh, which was kind of the first song where I shared something about my Indigenous identity, you got a crazy amount of positive feedback. Lots of girls who are mixed Indigenous were contacting me. It was so awesome. But there's one... Indigenous man who's an artist in uh, Alberta who was just trolling me hard at like 4 or 5 a.m. And then deleting them the next day and not answering any of my emails to be like, yo, this is my family heritage. Like, let's talk about it. And uh, was just an angry man, I think, and was feeling pretty, pretty bullied in that situation. So I wrote the song to kind of process and cope with that a little bit Um, because it was so disappointing because there was so much connection and I was feeling so overjoyed with that and then I was like man this is this this is what I was scared of this is why I didn't want to write this song five years ago and so um so it was kind of tough and I think the song kind of helped me and a lot of other people have messaged me about it like relating to them in other ways that they've been bullied or just online trolling and bullying in general which has been kind of cool.
0: How how do you two deal with with something like that i mean crit- criticism trolling whatever you want to call it is is part of every you know everybody's life in 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 some way um but i think for for public figures it can be a- amplified do you do you two have, have methods for dealing with it do you mostly just ignore it how, how does that affect you
1: I mostly ignore it. In that situation, I reached out to some of my other people I know in the Indigenous community to be like, is this something I should be taking seriously? And I guess in this case, this guy is kind of a known asshole. So it was like, <laughs> no, he's fucked with us before too. And I'm like, okay, okay. But um, I mean, trying to just put it out of your head and not take it too seriously. I mean, what people want to say on social media versus to you directly are two different things. And I think you can't, it's hard not to, but you got to try not to take it too seriously. If it was something that was serious, they'd be talking to you.
2: It's always like a stamp of approval because we only ever get it when something really big is happening. So we've obviously like played some really big show or gotten on some radio station. And then somebody's like, oh, I got you now. And it's like, oh, good. <laughs> we made it like we're doing it. So it kind of like it almost feels like as long as you don't read too much into the words, it's like, oh, thanks. I'm killing it. Just write a
1: song about it to to process yeah. it.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> You know, and and
0: and and you mentioned the states, and I know you're you think you're doing a couple of shows there in um New York and and uh, Ohio. Um, hmm. are you are you are you? I mean, obviously, and obviously the the north is different than the south, but are you are you preparing for anything when you go down to the states?
1: I mean, preparing for that border crossing. I <laughs> think <laughs> there's always so many nightmares about. Um, Artist crossing at the border to get into the US. So I've got like every possible document printed. I'm so prepared. We did one festival in New York and I did the same thing and we flew out and had all of our visa stuff ready. And it was just like, they just like waved us through. And I was like, oh my God, this was nothing. You know, there's there's these horrors of border crossing, Get so prepared. And sometimes it's totally nothing at all. I mean that's I mean that's all I'm thinking about. As soon as we cross the border, I feel
2: like it'll be a dream. I
1: don't think it's that different in the music communities in either country. I mean, we haven't really done a ton there yet, so I can't well, we're not. Sure.
2: We're also not really going very far south. It's that's pretty. True, yeah, we're in a pretty similar place to you know what Canadian politics are like and that kind of stuff. So, but uh, yeah, I think if we went, I think if we did like a full U.S. tour, there would definitely be yeah. some things that are noticeable because there's such a different. I mean, this is just speaking from my perspective, but there's such a different perspective of First Nations in the States, right? It's just not an issue that's on the table like it is in Canada and being processed in the same way. So it'd be interesting to like, yeah, hear songs. (laughs) Oh, what are they talking about? You know, like what's going on here? Well,
0: and that's, that's also in a way what I appreciated about Dig This because people don't realize that, you know, there was a lot of residential schools in the States as well. And, and you, um, and, and you, you, you mentioned those numbers, um, in, in the music video for this song as well. Um, was, was there anything that, that I guess you, 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 you learned about that history while making this song? Cause I think a lot of Canadians were, were unaware how prevalent residential school where residential schools were in particular the, the Northern U S as well.
1: I mean, like, I knew about all of that when I was a child. I'm like, my family made sure I knew. And so it wasn't really shocking because I was like, if it was happening here. Why wouldn't it be happening anywhere else? You know, so um, yeah, it was like saddening to see how many numbers were popping up everywhere, everywhere else. But I guess, you know, I guess I didn't know exactly what the system was in the US. I assumed it had been something similar, but um, I didn't know for sure.
0: Um, and you're, you know, with with touring in the summer comes a variety of festivals. And for you as artists, what is the appeal of doing a festival as opposed to like, you know, a, a, a private show at the Horseshoe or something?
1: I mean, festivals are a lot of fun. I feel like we do a lot of our touring in the spring and the fall. And then when you do festivals in the summer, that's kind of like... Your break, and you get to like go to this like really you get to see a million bands, and you get to like hang out in these really cool backstage, and like you're at the festival as well. You're not just like moving city to city and getting to sound check, getting to load, and like things are usually backline, so it's they're like easier to play and they're a lot more fun, and it's kind of it's kind of like the reward for all the touring you do all year.
2: It feels like summer camp. Yeah, you, <laughs> you get to like see all your friends in the industry, and all of a sudden you're in all you know it's like a giant big green room or backstage area and you get to like see everyone you've been watching on instagram all year and then you're like oh you know tell yeah. me about your- so you kind of get there's a little bit of camaraderie that gets to happen that like club shows are like tight and like hi nice to meet you okay this is our little space okay let's share it but uh festivals are I mean, some bands have to fly in and like play it and then leave, and that's we, we don't we, really do that.
1: Yeah, we definitely take the approach of like let's hang out at this festival all weekend, and then they, we kind of maybe that's why it becomes more like a bit of a vacation show for us.
0: Yeah. Well, I know, I know. At the end of the month, one of the ones that you're playing is the uh, Indigenous Music Summit. Yeah. And and um, how important is that to you, not only as a musician but as an Indigenous artist, to have sort of a festival that's solely dedicated to indigenous music?
1: I'm really excited for it. I believe this is the first one that's been in person. They've done them all digitally so far. So, I mean, I'm just always so thrilled when I get to play with other indigenous artists, like in the genre that we're in, we don't often cross paths on tour with like an indigenous punk band or rock band. Like it's just, there's not a lot or they're only on the res or that kind of thing. So having something like this bring them together I mean, I don't know if there's that many in our genre, but just to be able to go experience and and share experiences and communicate, like it's more of a summit than a festival too. Like we have all of these things to do all day. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm just thrilled. I'm like super excited. The closest thing we've done is a Leonite festival in Iqaluit and none of it. And I was just like, this is a dream, you know, and there's kind of this, being indigenous and playing all these festivals with mostly non-indigenous artists I feel like I often have to explain who I am where I'm from there's because because I am mixed and when I'm at the indigenous festivals or with indigenous artists I just get to be myself and not stress about it and not have to explain to anybody because they're all living it as well and it's just kind of a, a huge weight, weight that's lifted whenever I get to experience something like that so I'm just really excited.
0: You you mentioned that this was the first one they'd done in person and, and I'm curious how for you the 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 pandemic affected you guys but but also how you think the the pandemic maybe affected the, the indigenous music scenes and, 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 and the underground music scenes as well.
1: I mean, for us, we definitely got more into video work. Like we tried to be like, what can we do? We ended up making an EP that we weren't planning to really make yet because we had, we could go to a studio, but we couldn't go on tour. And so we, we just kind of did whatever we could because music is our, it's my full time job. It's like our life. We're involved in a lot of stuff. Sean plays in a million bands. And so we just kind of rolled with it and did whatever we could so that when we did come out of it, we would have stuff going on and be able to start saying yes to shows again. Um, but for the community and the, like the underground music scene and, and the indigenous music scene, like, I mean, I think it was kind of, I think it doesn't really matter who you are. The not having the venues, if you were a working live musician, it really affected you. A lot of venues closed. So just friends who work in the industry in general, not even artists have all been super affected trying to book our tours post pandemic, it's like all new contacts. A lot of the promoters we worked with before aren't doing shows and the venues are gone and the local bands have changed and it's kind of done this whole shift. I would say in. I always think of it
2: as like a, it's like a really healthy forest. Like it all burned down, like uh, all the venues, all the like (laughs) lower scale stuff. And then, but it's really cool because now we're in this, process like and a lot of bands broke up because they were like this is the last straw you know we can't keep going Uh, but now there's a ton of new bands some of the old members so you kind of see people you know a bunch of new venues are starting to pop up places people are sort of like reclaiming different spaces for venues so I think it's like about to become really cool again like I think all the harm it did is actually about to become um, like something really beautiful and new and vibrant and I hope I hope younger people are doing it. I hope it's all the young people that build it because I always feel like sometimes the music scene gets a little old in Canada, looking at us.
0: (laughs) Has has that, has it made it easier or or harder to tour? Because, I mean, A, I think the pandemic affected everyone's attention spans, you know, everyone's on their phones, they want more short form content. And, you know, if you spend, you know, if, if you're a young person growing up with the pandemic, you might not know, you know, you might not, know what it's like to experience um um, live entertainment totally
1: yeah i would yeah i would definitely say it's it's harder to book the tours because there's fewer places and they're not necessarily doing music all week because there is that people don't just go out all the time anymore like that culture has kind of changed there's not five nights a week of music because there's not people going out five nights a week so that's definitely made some differences but you kind of, I mean, you just kind of have to navigate it and figure out like which places have the Tuesday night now and which places do the Wednesday night now and, and just kind of roll with it and figure it out. It's definitely not where we left it in 2018. Was probably our last like Canada tour. It's definitely very different now. And I think this tour is kind of, kind of a reintroduction to that circuit. Like I think next time we go across Canada, will be a lot more succinct. Succinct.
0: You know, um, the the articles just describe you as sort of punk, but also riot girl. And it, whenever, when someone thinks of riot girl, it's it's 90s. And it's how do you feel now that, you know, the 90s is now fashionable? You know, the 90s is now. I, I mean, I
1: love it because it's what it's like, what it's what like was by formative music for sure. Um, I was from a really small town in B.C. and discovering Riot Girl was like the best secret like it was so awesome and there was only like me and two other friends who were into it but it like left a huge imprint on everything I would create later and so to have that popping up like I run this girls rock camp in Calgary and have those girls talking about the bands that I listened to in the 90s I'm like yeah we're like something's happening we're all on the same page right now like it's it's pretty it's pretty special it's fun for me because yeah it's from it's where I'm from
2: I love that everyone's wearing versions of the clothes that I used to wear when I was starting to make punk rock music. And so it's, it's, it's actually like the more young people I see at shows, the more pumped I am. Cause I'm like, if you're getting off your phone a little bit and like coming out and like dressing up and it looks like that, I love, it's so good. It's, 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 well, it's weird.
0: It's just like, you know, on TikTok, it's like this generation discovering friends or something, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah. Have you um have you introduced the twins to like somebody like Kathleen Hanna yet?
1: Uh, No, what is, is Kathleen Hanna doing kid stuff now?
0: No, I, I just meant like. Oh, fuck, what am I talking
1: about? Sorry, bikini kill.
0: Th- yeah, I just meant like Riot Girl, but. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: no, the boys are, what are they into right now? Like Yo Gabba Gabba was a good intro because it was like indie rock music in kid song form and they got pretty into that. Um, their auntie recently sent them these keyboards and microphones and this st- and I started playing guitar for them they were messing around and my one of my sons Arthur grabbed the microphone and started like singing like punk rock like it like nonsense lyrics but like hunched over with the microphone like dah, 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 dah. and I'm like where have you seen this like I I didn't show you this is it just like in your blood like man you can be a punk rock singer so cool so they, I mean, they're they like, um, I mean, they like kids' songs type stuff, but they're they've got a vibe, they've got a feel for making this. Even though they won't let me play them punk rock, they want to sing it. So I don't know what that's <laughs> all
0: about. Who <laughs> knows? Maybe maybe in like, you know, ten years from now, they'll they'll be singing backup for you.
1: Yeah, I've got my, I've got a dream. I've got a dream that when they are like old enough to kind of come along and be roadies, like maybe even like eight to 10-ish or something. Mm-hmm playing these big festivals and they come out and they sound check all with our instruments for us and they get to play whatever goofy song they've been working on and this is my dream they're my roadies they sound check our gear
2: love it <laughs> well,
0: yeah my 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 sister has 12 and a half year old twins and and um wow. Sophie the older one uh sang back with her a couple nights ago so nice. oh, really yeah oh, they did a, they actually did a really cool cover of Tennessee whiskey oh, oh yeah. sweet and it was it, it was kind of funny like you know Seeing my twelve-year-old niece sing about whiskey in a jazz bar, but you know. <laughs> like that's my sister for you, like you know, yeah. very uh, you know, very much, um, very much that you know. It strikes me talking about like Riot Girl and and punk. There there seems to be a lot of, I guess, crossover maybe in in terms of the the ethos or or sort of the the storytelling ways of of punk music and of uh, indigenous culture um, I'm 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 curious as as a musician where how 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 do you see those two things relating and, and and gelling
1: well I mean like I guess the indigenous experience is to be pretty much at the bottom of the barrel of society for so long that's what punks were doing when they were writing music about their underground lifestyle right like kids who are pissed off and like poor and need something to rage about so i can definitely see that coalition i'm surprised there's not more indigenous punk bands to be honest uh there's a really awesome one from six out in our neck of the woods called uh no more moments yeah. and they are so good such good they're so good they're often I, th- I feel like they're kind of the example of like the indigenous punk band at least in western canada and um yeah i'm just surprised there's not there's not more maybe there's Maybe there is more, but they don't like, they're so punk that they don't (laughs) do anything, right? Right, Like they just play and make the music. But I would love to see more because I think there's, I think there's lots of experiences to make punk music about.
0: Yeah. I feel like there was one from the 70s up north, but the name is Escaping Oh,
2: Oh, we just, oh, we just heard the whole history of them. Because when we are up north, they're like, oh, this is like the most famous band. And it was so um but yeah i won't remember the name yeah damn i think there's something about it too though with like everything that like what's available on the res and i think why hip-hop is so big there and oh yeah, the you primary. don't need much yeah you just need a microphone you don't even need a microphone right you just need something that plays beats and so many people want to tell the story and i think some people learn later that like, like sometimes I don't want to tell stories with my words. I want to like hit an instrument and play an instrument that, that that's the way that I express art. But I think there's so many people in the indigenous community that have the words. And so hip hop is so accessible to be like, oh, this is the, the medium by which I can express all these punk rock ideals, you know, cause it's like, it's, you know, hard beat. It's not just like nice things and you know, I think that's pretty, it's a pretty punk rock part of their scene. So,
0: Well, you know, given, I guess, given the history, you know, in in this strong tradition of, of storytelling in that community, is that why the, they're, you know, like Illumination, for example, are great lyricists? Does it come from that storytelling background?
1: I mean, maybe Um, it's definitely more oral traditions and stuff. Like, I don't want to speak too much to that experience because like, I didn't grow up on the res. And so like, I don't, I can't say firsthand that that's where all of that stuff is coming from. Um, my family was pretty disconnected after residential schools. Um, but I would imagine that's got a lot to do with it. You know, stories are told, not read, not written, you know? And so I think you would kind of develop those skills in that situation.
0: Um. So, you know, back to the album, um, uh, there's there's a lot of, you know, a lot of great kind of um, v- variety of songs, but it, I think it, one of the most unique challenges for an artist is deciding on the order that things go in. Um, you know, um, given the subject matter that you write about, what, what kind of conversations did you have about what songs are going to go where?
1: I mean, I think we were... Thinking about an A-side, B-side, because we kind of think about things in terms of vinyl a bunch. And so they definitely wanted to have like some of the, not stronger because they're different, but you know what I mean? Like an A-side is going to have the more catchy ones, the ones that could be maybe more on radio and B-side is going to have more um, experimental stuff on it. And so thinking about it in that scope. kind of helped make the order. Also having the like interludes to kind of bridge some of those gaps was an idea that we had to spread them out. Um, When I decided that I wanted to open with Dig Me Out, that's when I decided, okay, we're going to have this like Pope Apology at the beginning. And so that like beginning in the intro interlude, um, having that there, I was like, if we're going to come in with this heavy song first, then let's like really lean into it and really dive into it and go from there and just kind of try to find a, a vibe where it's not like heavy songs, fun songs, like bridge them together in a way. I mean, it was complicated. I think we had a few variations before we landed on this one.
2: Totally. Yeah. It was a, uh... yeah. It's a funny thing that you pointed out. Cause this one really took a long time to find the balance of like making it a fun listening experience, but also like getting the message across in the right way.
1: Yeah, like, and like, especially, like, where does Bear Kids go? (laughs) Like, where does that song land? Because it's very emotional. and It's very serious. And trying to figure out where that one could land was was tricky. Well,
0: you know, opening with the apology and, you know, opening with audio, I think, in a way, um, in enhances the sort of the the overall story arc, I guess, um, of an album, but um, I'm just I'm just curious the the over the community's overall response, or maybe you can speak at least speak to yourself and, and your community's um your nation's response to that big moment when when Pope Francis actually said we are sorry.
1: I mean, I've seen a lot of mixed reactions. Um it's a little bit of too little too late, to be honest. I mean, the the church is hanging on to a lot of records that would help identify a lot of the children. And for whatever reason, I mean, I think I know the reason they don't want to share it. And like, that's like, cool. You came all the way out here. How much did that cost? Like who for you to do that? And you said the words, I think the phrasing was like, he didn't say like, he didn't say that the church was responsible. Like he didn't, it wasn't quite the right apology. And and they're withholding those records. And so I think like it's something, but it's not enough. And um, I definitely saw, I watched a lot of videos about it afterwards, especially when I was looking for the right um, quote. And I saw a lot of survivors who were like crying with happiness that there was the apology. And so, I mean, we've had, like my generation has had like a a trickle down kind of react, like, um, the right word is but our experience and our relation to what happened isn't the same as someone who firsthand survived it and so I think if someone is happy with it who was there then that's really meaningful and that's really important um what I like my just I'm I'm really angry about everything because I'm I'm angry that my grandmother never taught my father the language or anything, because she went to residential school and, you know, had a messed up time there. And then I'm angry that he didn't pass it on to me because he, all of his, all of his brothers and sisters were like, had tons of alcohol and drug abuse. And so he kept me separate to keep me away from that. But then I didn't get to have any of my culture. And so I've got all these things that I'm really angry about. And so to me, that wasn't enough, but it was enough for some people who were there. And I think that's, that's also very important.
0: Yeah. Um, and i really uh, and then of course it leads into dig me out and you d- you did a a really cool music video i thought um for for that album which is um you know if if you combine the words indigenous and punk i think you get that aesthetic um um but um how how early on did did the the concept for for that video come into come into being
1: um i think i'd i'd had that idea I mean, because, I mean, that's exactly what the song was about, right? Is all the numbers coming in and everybody's reaction to it. So I wanted to incorporate the numbers somehow. So like that idea was on, was pretty much when I wrote it. Um, And then we worked with um, our photographer and videographer who's on tour with us right now, Sebastian Basilino, to do the video. And he had a lot of ideas for the aesthetics. Um, We had wanted to do this color scheme and orange seemed the most appropriate for this song. But each video kind of has a color for each single. And um, yeah, so we kind of, we had a starting point. Like we knew what the basis was going to be. And then we just kind of collaborated creatively onto how exactly that would go forward.
0: Um, another song you've been even you've been mentioning a lot is um, is Bear Kids, which um, which is about your own twins and, you know, being, you've been dreaming of Grizzlies for all this time. Um, was, was there one moment that made you say... Okay, I'm I'm finally able to, to write about this or write about them.
1: Um, I think I just kind of had to make myself get started. Like, like I said, like I'd been thinking about it since I made the connection. And um, and I guess while we started, we started writing this album, and I was like, it was on a list of songs that I wanted to have on the album, and I hadn't written it yet. So I had to start kind of I had I had kind of reached a starting point where. We had done, so we did the two songs in like September 21 in the UK. And then we did four more at National Music Center in April 22. And so Bear Kids was one of the last five songs that we did at OCL Studios in August. And so after the April session, it was like, hey, we well, have to get this song ready for the album if you're going to do it. So I kind of, I just kind of had to make myself do it and figure out the riff, figure out the spoken word and and just make it happen. Because it had just been, and I an idea of something that I needed to do just sitting on a, a shelf in my brain and just kind of had to push it out after we finished that April session and realize that like the album's got to get finished. <laughs> you got to write the song. <laughs> in,
0: in terms of the, the, the overall writing process um, as a duo, how would you say it works? Like do you always come up with the lyrics and then you bring it to Sean and be like, Hey, I've got this. Let's, let's put some music to it.
1: Sometimes, yeah, I feel like mostly we've been doing music first. And I'll have like a concept of what the song's going to be about in my brain. And we'll kind of jam out some music ideas first. Like um, lately, actually, Sean did a couple of riffs on this album as well that then I would like redo in my style. But typically, I'll do I'll get like a verse and a chorus kind of music down and then we'll jam that and then we'll work on it in our own time and do it kind of over email and send ideas back before we jam it full circle again. And I'll get it. I'll be able to spit out like a verse and a chorus and, and we'll process it all together that way. But it's not really a exact way that we do it. We've, we've kind of done it vocals first song concept first riff that we don't know what the song's about first. Like it's kind of bounced around a lot since we've been jamming.
0: Would you say, um, I mean, we've talked about, um, a number of songs on the album, but it is there a favorite that that you have out of any of them?
1: Um, I'm I'm pretty into So Mad right now. The, making the music video was so fun. I think that's when like I always liked it. But when, once we started doing that, I was like, man, like I really like this jam. And then uh, playing it live on tour now has been kind of solidifying that for me.
2: I'm having a lot of fun because uh, I get to play one punk song every night now, and it's called "Girls Are Okay," and it's, uh, it was like a beat that I pushed for, and it's it's very satisfying when we get it, and it's like it feels very tight and very like propaganda kind of style when we're nailing it. So I've been really enjoying that one. And uh, that's one yeah. that we
1: did in the studio that was like. I did like just, I never did guitar and singing for that song until we got ready to play it live. And I was like, fuck, this is a fast guitar. (laughs) (laughs) It took a little while to narrow that or to nail that.
0: (laughs) What, yeah, I mean, I, that's another aspect. Um, You know, certain riffs and, and, and and certain beats are more challenging than others. And not everyone can, um, can, can, can sing and play at the same time. Um, Are there, unique challenges that come with that
1: oh yeah like a lot of the stuff we do a lot of writing in the studio as well like we'll have the bass ideas before we go in and so then i'm only playing guitar for the guitar recording and then i'm only singing and then we'll go to practice it to get ready for tour and i'm like oh geez like these things do not connect my vocals and these this guitar playing and so it's it's a lot of like homework to get ready for a tour to practice those things because they were not created at the same time.
0: Uh so you have about what, about a month left on this tour, I think. You're in you're, you're in uh London and then Tilsonburg, and then you go down in the States, and then you come back um and do more dates in uh Ontario, and then you um take off for uh the UK until until um the the middle of June. Um is, is there any, I don't know, is is there any one thing you're excited about or any one thing you're looking for um on over the next you know five weeks or so
1: i'm really excited for Pooza fest in montreal we've never played before and sean has played every year with his punk bands and it always looks like so much fun and so i'm really excited to be ending off our little eastern thing with Pooza, um and then yeah going to europe in the uk
2: my favorite place in the uk is brighton and we finally booked a show there and because we played the great escape there a couple of years ago and so anytime i get to go back there i'm super pumped so i can't wait for that
1: oh yeah brighton is definitely a fave it was i think the last show that we booked for the uk tour which was so frustrating because it's like we've recorded there and we've played great escape and spent some time there and it's our favorite place ever so like, yeah <laughs> one
0: one london by the sea um, yeah yeah exactly yeah. You uh you you mentioned Pouza, which is uh, a very interesting festival. Um, but you know, considering its origins and and its name and it's it's in Montreal, Sean. I got to ask you about: uh,
2: Do you have a favorite poutine? Yes, I do. Uh, I can't remember what it is in French, but it's your classic poutine, and then it has um, coleslaw and smoked meat on it. Oh oh yeah good. it's like a little fresh it kind of cheats you into thinking like there's a salad involved in this <laughs> so yeah and it's at and i can't remember it's the best place it's the place you have to line up for every time you go oh yeah i'll have to i'll have to find the note of what it is it's saved in my phone
0: poutine with coleslaw that's that sounds interesting i like yeah that.
2: right you right but it's good I like yeah. a poutine with smoked meat, though. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did you, Misha? Do you have a do you have a favorite poutine that is a go to for you?
1: Uh, I think just smoked, Yeah, the smoked meat on the poutine is kind of my faves, especially if you're gonna actually be in like in Montreal and get that real smoked meat.
0: Yeah, take 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 advantage of of all all the great food. I think Montreal might be the best food city in all of Canada.
2: It's really good. It's yeah. real. Yeah, agreed. We're it, we're
1: in London right now and there is this amazing barbecue place we went to last time we were here and it's closed now, schmokey's BBQ. So all morning we've been like, What's the new best barbecue <laughs> in London, Ontario? Yeah. <laughs> it, is
0: is that is that one thing you always get excited excited about to look for in tour is is all the different foods you can explore, all you know, all the like the local watering holes or kind of local mom and oh. pop shops. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, if we have time in a city to do that, like that's definitely one of the first things we do. We try to find like a cool local brewery and, um, and yeah, like the best, best secret restaurants. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Best dive bars. Uh, Um, is, you know, as, as you, as you've played Western Canada, you're in Eastern Canada, you're going to the UK. Is there any one thing, whether it's, whether it's a message or just something that you, would want an audience seeing your show to, to, to come away with something that they could go home with and and, and ruminate on?
2: Oh, good question. Um, I mean, it's, it's like, it's a couple things, right? Cause I think one of the things we always want our audiences to do is like, feel the release with us. Like if you watch us play, like we go, like very hard. Like it's like it's a it's a onslaught for sure. And there's always been like a cathartic release with that kind of music to me. And I hope that whatever they're holding in and whatever their week has been and whatever their life's problems are uh evaporate with with rock and roll because that's sort of why we keep making it. So I I hope that they go home just a little more at peace after letting it all out.
1: Yeah. Yep. Let me go with
2: that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, um,
0: the uh, the new album is Unconditional Love in Hi-Fi, uh, which I believe is out now. Um, you can check out the uh, videos for their singles, So Mad, and Dig Me Out. And you're currently on tour in Ontario, and then you'll be hitting uh, New York and uh, Europe later on. In the spring. Misha, Sean, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Yeah, yeah thanks so much for chatting with us.
0: Alrighty, have a good one. You, you too, too. Bye. 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 Once again, that was my conversation with Misha and Spanx. The Ravalon "Unconditional Love and Hi-Fi is out now. You can currently find me on tour throughout Eastern Canada and then in as well. You can visit Nisha and Spanx.net. That's Misha N-I-E-S-H-A and the Spanx.net. My thanks to Misha and Sean. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Bye.